Thank you all for being here this morning. appreciate you being here, and I appreciate the opportunity to lead our minds as we go to God's Word and study it this morning. appreciate Wade for taking the time to put those songs together along the lines of what we want to talk about this morning, and they are very helpful. Uh, I hope you have your Bibles still there and uh, can turn to Job chapter 26. If not, I'll put it on the screen here. I realize that we don't have pew Bibles, so in case somebody came without a Bible today, I'll put it on the screen. But we know the story of Job and the agony he endured uh, from Satan. Uh, Satan tried to cause him to lose his faith, to turn his back on God, and to, to fall away. We, we know the story of all the agony that he endured, and then that was uh, compounded by his well-intentioned friends who were very inept at offering comfort and trying to help Job through this time. Job uh, endured incredible misery and challenges. But in Job chapter 26... We see Job's faith on display as he looks around creation and notes all of the incredible things that God has done and the power that is evident in the creation. I want to look at a few of these with you this morning uh, and uh, be impressed at uh, what Job was impressed with. And, And hopefully it will build our faith as we think about God and all of his power. Now there's a lot of expressions in this passage that are difficult to comprehend and if you look at commentators, they have differing opinions. Even translations, if you're looking at different translations, will translate the phrases and the words in, in some of these verses quite differently than in others. I've got the New King James on the, slide, on the screen here for you this morning. We'll use it. Uh, but I want to look at the ones that are simpler to understand, the ones that we obviously can see. For instance, the first one. Job was amazed at God and how he stretched out the north over empty space. He hangs the earth on nothing. God created the heavens and the earth, and he put them there on nothing. There's no foundation. On the back of our house, we have a deck. And that deck is out in the blazing sun for most of the day. That deck really, really needs a roof over it. I would love to have a roof over it. The problem is that something's got to support that roof. And I can't really get my mind around how I would do that, and I'm quite intimidated about the idea of putting that roof down. I can't just say, roof, be there, and it just, it's there. But God can say that with the earth and say, earth, you're there, and it's there. And he can say that to all the other stars that are in the galaxy. You're there, and you're there. He can stretch that out over the empty space and hang it on nothing. Amazing. He can say, Orion, you're there. Pleiades, you're over there. A few months ago, Emily decided that she really wanted a telescope. We couldn't really understand why a six-year-old girl wanted a telescope, but it was near her birthday, and so we said, we'll just go with it. We'll get her a telescope. And so... She has her new telescope, and the kids are out playing one night, and I look up, and the moon is right above the driveway. And so I went in and got her telescope, and I set it up. And I got the moon all dialed in there, and I said, you guys got to come look at this. And one by one, everyone came to look. And as they looked at that moon, which we've seen all of our lives, but saw it up close, and saw those craters and that texture on the surface of the moon, Everyone that looked into that telescope said, wow, amazing, amazing. And that moon moves constantly. It never stops. It's moving constantly. In fact, it moves so fast when you get it into the eyepiece of the telescope. It stays there about long enough for one person to get 
enough of looking at it and it's gone. And I had to adjust it again to get it back into, into the site for the next person to look at because it's constantly moving. And as I look at that, it impresses on me that that's a real thing out there. It's not just the light in the sky. That's, that's something real that God made. And that moon is just a small thing in this universe. All of the stars are real things just like this earth that God made. And He hung them there. He put them out there on nothing. And they're constantly moving at His order and His direction. And it all works perfectly. Job was amazed that God stretched out the north over empty space and hung the earth on nothing. And he was also amazed when he said he binds up the water in his thick clouds, yet the clouds are not broken under it. Job was amazed at the water cycle that God had designed. A while back when we were getting a lot of rain, I got to thinking, I wonder how much water is in, say, the rain that falls on an acre of ground when we get an inch of rain. So maybe you have a yard that's an, uh, an acre. When it rains an inch on your yard, how much water is that? Well, I was getting excited about a challenging math problem, and I was going to go try and find my facts, but unfortunately, Google ruined that all for me because it gave me the answer without having to do even get my calculator out. You know how much water is in an acre of ground if it falls, an inch of rain falls on it? 27,154 gallons of water in one acre. Now we know that water is heavy. That water would weigh 113 tons or 226,000 pounds of water. That's an incredibly large number. I thought, well, maybe I could break this down into something I could get my mind around a little bit better. I thought, you know, you see semi-trucks with the tankers behind them carrying fuel around and other liquids around. How many tractor-trailer loads of rain would that be in my acre yard? It's about three tractor-trailers of, of water that floated over the sky, over my head, and came down as rain. Amazing. But then I got to thinking, you know, it's not just my yard. It's everybody else's yard. How many tractor trailers of water are floating over my head constantly? I'm amazed like Job. He bounds, binds up the water in his thick clouds and the clouds are not broken under it. How in the world? Amazing. Now, in case some school kid wants to... Say, yeah, but that's the water cycle. We all know how that works. I know how that works. I know how water evaporates and gets into the atmosphere. I understand that. I know how it condenses. But who designed that? Who made that? God did. And Job was amazed by that, and I am too, and we all should be. He goes on a little later in, the, in the, this passage. He says, He stirs up the sea by His power, and by His understanding He breaks up the storm. Have you ever been to the ocean? Have you ever seen those powerful waves that come crashing in to the shore constantly? Have you ever seen the tide move in and out and all of that water is gone and then a few hours later all that water is back? When we go down to Nikki's parents, her dad will take us 
at Micah's bidding many times down to the Gulf to go fishing. And we put in the boat to get out into the Gulf in a little ditch of a stream, not very wide at all. And when we get down there, sometimes we get a little excited and we get down there too early, and the tide is still out. And that creek is dry. And we have to sit there and wait. And in a short amount of time, here comes the water. Occasionally, there'll be somebody who gets excited and launches their boat before there's enough water, and they get just a little ways down that river, and they get stuck. And we watch them, and they are frustrated. But just a little while, and there's enough water, that boat starts to float, and out they go. And we go out fishing while we're out there. And on our way out, we can watch the water is just rushing in. It's rushing in. And then when we get back from fishing, that river's completely full. And it's not just that river, it's the whole ocean. God is moving the waters back and forth and back and forth by His understanding, by His wisdom, and by His might. And what about a hurricane? Aren't you amazed at the power that a hurricane has? That's one of my dreams, is to be able to be in the middle of a hurricane. I want to be in a concrete box right in the middle of a hurricane. I want to watch that go over. It would be amazing to see the power of those storms. God did all that. And Job says, by His Spirit, He adorned the heavens. Have you ever looked up to see the stars? Really see the stars? We've got a lot of light pollution around here, and we don't get to see many stars. Have you ever been out west where there aren't many people and seen the stars. Last fall we were in Utah, in the desert, far away from people. And we were trying to figure out where we were going to spend the night. And I made our family spend the night in the middle of nowhere in the desert where there was absolutely nothing there and it was really not all that pretty of a place to be. But I said, we're spending the night here so we can see the Milky Way. Have you ever seen the Milky Way? It's not just one or two stars or even a lot of stars. It is a light, a bright spot in the sky that spreads across the horizon. It is beautiful and it is amazing. And we sat out there and we looked at it and took it in and just said, wow, God made all that. God adorned the heavens. Certainly, God is incredibly powerful. These are just a few of the things that Job was looking at, no doubt, were things that were giving Job strength in the time of his difficulty and his challenges. But if you've got your Bibles, look at verse 14. Logan didn't read this verse, but look at how Job concludes his observations. This is an amazing passage to me. Indeed, these are the mere edges of his ways. And how small a whisper we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? Job says you look around and you see all these things that just make your mouth drop. That just inspire incredible awe. How could God do that? You know what Job says about that? He says this is just the edge of God's way. This is just the hem of the garment. What we can see about God is just the hem of the garment. And we just hear a small whisper of him in all of the glory and the majesty that we see in the world around us. 
You know, I think sometimes we think that God is the sum of the evidence that we can see in the creation around us. That maybe this world was, maybe took everything God had. He really, he really had to strain to make this world. That this is it. That, that, that this is the extent of God's ability. Now, he, he, he used everything he had to make this world. But no. Job says this is just the edges of his ways. And God's told us a lot about himself in the Bible. And maybe we think, well, we know all about God because we've got his Bible. No. Job says, we're just hearing a faint whisper of God. Isn't that amazing? I think there's some implications for us this morning. I want to quickly look at those as we think about the things that we've noted and the things around us as being simply the mere edges of God's ways. I want to tell you there's four important things for us to think about this morning. Number one. If what we see in the world around us are just the mere edges of God's ways, then I want to tell you we shouldn't expect to understand everything about God. I think there's a lot of people who have lost their faith because they couldn't understand everything about God. There are a lot of people who have asked questions and gotten all troubled and perplexed, trying to figure out everything about God. You ever heard this one? Someone said, I don't understand. How could God really be omnipotent? How does that work? How could he be, have all power? Have you heard this? This is one of those brilliant questions. Could God make a rock so big that he couldn't move it? People sit around wasting their time trying to figure this out. And then they get their faith all shaken because, I don't know. If he could, then he's not omnipotent. If he couldn't, then he's not omnipotent. We're not going to understand that. We can't understand that. Someone would say, well, what about this idea of God being omniscient? I don't understand that. I don't think that's possible. How could God be omniscient and be able to know everything that happens in the future but not be controlling it and not be dictating what I do? How does that work? I don't know. And so people get all troubled and perplexed about that. Or I can't understand. How could God be eternal? How could God be eternal? How could anything not have a beginning or an end? You know, I don't think I could believe in God because I don't understand how something could not have a beginning or an end. We see just the mere edges of God's ways. We're never going to be able to understand in this, in this life everything about God. He hasn't revealed it. Look at Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. We do see just the mere edges of God's ways. We do just hear that faint whisper of God. But He's told us these things for our benefit. But we should not expect to see and understand everything about God in this life. In Romans chapter 11, verse 33 Paul put it this way. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. We're not going to understand everything about God. In fact, our little pea brains couldn't understand everything about God if he told us. And it is arrogance for us to think that we could or to complain that God hasn't told us enough. 
These are but the mere edges of God's ways, and we shouldn't expect to understand everything about God. Number two, I want to tell you that if these are just the mere edges of God's ways, then we shouldn't expect to understand why all the time. Again, many have lost their faith trying to figure out the why. Why does God let my loved one get sick? Why does God let that dear person in my life die? Why does God let all of the innocent people in this world suffer? What about those children that are born with incredible problems and challenges? Why? Why are they destined to a life like that? Why do I have hard times in my life? Why am I dealing with this right now? Why, why, why? The Almighty God, who we see just the mere edges of His ways, is in control. And I don't have to know the why. I won't ever always know the why. But I just need to know that I'm in His care. Notice Jesus' attitude when bad things came on Him. When bad situations came on Jesus, notice His attitude in 1 Peter 2, verse 23. Who, Jesus, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Jesus handed it over to God, didn't he? And sometimes we just have to do that, hand it over to God. I don't understand the why, but I do know there's a God who's in control, and I just see the fringes, the mere edges of his ways. He's in control, and I'll do like Jesus. I'll just turn it over to him because I know it'll be okay. There's a lot of people who also, as they try to figure out the why, decide that they're not going to obey a command of God unless it passes their it-makes-sense-to-me test. We read through the Bible and we come upon commands that are pretty easy for us to obey. But then there's some commands that are pretty tough. Maybe take take a... back and say, ooh, ow, whoa, wait a minute. And a lot of times, people, and maybe sadly us, we have to try and figure out, well, why would God tell me to do that? And if I can't wrap my brain around why God would tell me to do that, then I'll just discount that command or that instruction, and I'll just say, well, I don't have to do that because it doesn't make sense to me. I'm just going gonna, gonna to ignore that one because it doesn't make sense to me. For instance, maybe it's the idea of giving. You know, we're in challenging economic times right now, uncertain times. And God tells us we need to be given of our means. Well, someone might say, I don't understand. Why would God do that? These are challenging. I don't, I don't have, the future's not secure. Why would he tell me to do that? I, maybe I won't do that. Or maybe it's standing up for what's right. Maybe it's this idea of, of standing up for what's right when... I know that I'm going to have to pay a price for it. Maybe I'm going to lose my job or my friends are going to laugh at me and make fun of me. Why do I have to stand up for what's right? That doesn't make sense. I mean, God wrote the Bible and God can stand for himself. Why do I have to stand up for what's right? Maybe that doesn't make any sense. Maybe I'll ignore that. We could go on and on. You think about the command. You think about anything that's difficult or challenging. And people like to run it through the, well, if it doesn't make sense to me, then I'm not going to do it. 
Because people have said, decided that they need to understand the why. They need to understand why God would tell me to do that before I do it. We need to look at Abraham's example in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 beginning. Abraham could have certainly run God's instruction to sacrifice Isaac through the does it make sense to me test. And if he had run it through that test, he would have no doubt ignored that command. He would not have gotten up early in the morning to sacrifice Isaac. He'd say, oh, that's crazy. God, surely God wouldn't tell me to do that. I'm, I'm going to ignore it. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, by faith when he was t- tried, offered up, uh, by faith Abraham when he was tried, offered up Isaac, that, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Absolutely no reason in the world why God should have given him that instruction. It made no sense. But what was Abraham's response? Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Abraham said, I don't understand the why. This makes no sense. I'm going to do it. And we need to have that same attitude. When we come across things that make no sense to us, we need to know that God is smarter than us and we need to trust Him, and we need to obey Him. You know, when we come up with this approach that everything has to make sense to me before I do it, that I have to understand the why before I obey it, what that does is that brings God down to our level. We serve a God, when we do that, that is no smarter than us. If every command I read has to make sense to me and has to be something I would have done anyways, then we have a God that is no smarter, no wiser, no better than us. But instead we serve a God like Job did, who created all this thing, these things around us and these are just the mere edges of his ways and he is so much infinitely smarter and wiser and better than us that if he said it, we're going to do it and we're not going to ask questions, we're not going to try and ask why. When you go to the doctor and he tells you what you need to do in order to get feeling better, do you ask him Why? You say, I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. You want me to do what? No, I'm not going to do that. You know, there are times at work when my computer gets all out of whack. And I try my best to get it working again, and I just can't do it. And I have to make the dreaded call to IT and get them to work on it. And as soon as I call them, they say, share your screen with me and let me have control of your computer. And immediately, they get down into the deep crevices of that computer. And I'm getting nervous just watching them because I know one wrong move and it could ruin my life. And I don't stop them and say, wait a minute, why are you doing that? I don't know, don't do that. They know better than me. I called them because I needed help. And I'm glad for them to do it. Why do we think that God is any different? God knows better than us. We need His help. We need to do what He says to do and stop asking why. And I want to tell you, I don't think we could understand the why if God were to tell us. Think about it with your kids. Ever give your kids an instruction that they didn't understand why you were telling them to do it? Of course, all the time, don't you? Because you know better than your kids. You've been around a little bit longer than your kids. You're a little bit wiser than your kids. And so you tell them things that are for their best interest 
But they don't understand the why, and if you were to tell them at their age, they probably couldn't understand the why, but you expect them to do it because you have their best interest at heart. And God has our best interest at heart. And we couldn't understand all the whys, I'm sure, if God were to tell us why, but we need to be humble enough to realize who we're dealing with and submit to Him. In Jeremiah chapter 29, sorry, Psalm 50, verse 21. Psalm 50, verse 21, the Israelites were condemned here because, look what it says, you thought that I was altogether like you. They thought they knew how God would act and what he would think about certain things and and he would think like them and he'd make the same decisions as them. And God said, you're wrong. I'm not like you. And we need to remember that. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 God says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and hope. God has intentions and plans for us. He gives us His commands for a reason. And we need to stop asking why and start obeying, because what we see of God are just the mere edges of God's ways. Two more points quickly. Number three. If we are seeing just the mere edges of God, how must the entirety of God be? If I can look at this world around me and be in awe at God's power and His might, and this is just the hem of the garment, how incredible must the entire picture be? Can you imagine that? You ever drive by a mansion or some kind of fancy house and Wonder to yourself, I wonder what it's like inside there. You're seeing just a part of that. You wonder, what would it be like to be in that house, to live in that house? That's amazing. Or maybe you like cars. We've got a boy in our house that's pretty crazy about cars right now. And a fancy car goes by. We want to look at that car. We want to see what, what's it like inside that car. wonder what that, that dashboard looks like. What kind of seats does it have? We were in Cool Springs yesterday and we're... Some fancy cars drove by us and we were looking in. We want to see how incredible it must be. What must God be like? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about a vision that he had. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such a one caught up into the third heaven... And I knew such a man, whether in body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise, and notice this, and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for man to utter. Paul had heard things about God that we haven't heard. In fact, they were so amazing it wasn't even lawful for him to talk about them. And in Revelation chapter 4, John talks about his vision. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was there, uh, was as it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one set on the throne, and he that sat on it, uh, set on, uh, he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald, and round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders, 
setting clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of, that, of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And this is no doubt just a figurative representation of what heaven must be like. How amazing it must be. This is a portrayal that our minds can get wrapped around, but no doubt it's so much more impressive than this. We're seeing just the mere edges of God's ways. Can you imagine what the entirety of God must be like? Maybe this is why Moses was told in Exodus chapter 33, verse 20, as he's with God, he says, God says, Thou cannot see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. I don't think God is telling Moses that there's a command. Thou shalt not see God. If you see God, you'll be put to death. I think Moses is telling, or God is telling Moses that you can't see me. If you see me, it will kill you. It's that impressive. It's that incredible. God is so incredible that we can't even see him while we're here on this earth. But we can see him someday and what that must be like. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. Sorry, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. No more just the edges of God's ways. No more just the faint whispers. We'll get to see God as he is. And notice how that impacts my life. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Don't you want to see God? Don't you want to see what he's like in all of his glory and his splendor? If what we can see on this earth is so impressive, don't you want to be there on that day? If you do, it changes the way that you live. And finally, I want to tell you this morning, if what we see are just the mere edges of God's ways, then even the mere edges are enough to save us. We only see the mere edges, and we only hear the whisper of him, but God has revealed enough of himself for us to be saved. In John chapter 20, verse 30, beginning. John chapter 20, verse 30. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. We don't have to know more about God than we know. We're just seeing a minuscule fraction of God right now. But we've got enough in order to be saved. And what a comfort and relief that is. But you know, we've all committed sins. Egregious sins. And sometimes we think we've just messed up too much for God to save us. We haven't done so much that God can't save us. Even the edges of God's ways are powerful enough to save us. In Luke chapter 8... Verses 43 and 44. We read about a woman who for 12 years had had a terrible health problem. And she had spent all of her money trying to get help. She had no help. She had no relief. But she, she, she knew Jesus could help. The problem was there was a sea of people around Jesus. She needed to get to Jesus. And she knew if she could just touch the hem of his garment, it would save her. 
Verse 43 of Luke 8, And a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all of her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her issue of blood stanched or was stopped. Just the edge of Jesus' garment was enough to help her. And just the edges of God's ways that He has revealed to us are enough to save us. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter how bad and how much we've messed up our lives. God can save us. And He's begging us. He wants to save us. We just need to submit to Him. Job was encouraged by looking at the mere edges of God's ways, and I hope that you are as well. If we're just seeing the mere edges and all the, the splendor of the world around us, then we shouldn't expect to understand everything about God. We shouldn't expect or ask to understand why God told me this or why does this happen in my life. We need to think about how wonderful and glorious it must be to see God in all of His glory. And we need to have confidence that God can save us. What about you this morning? Are you living as you should? Are you submitting to God if you're not a Christian yet? There's no better time than right now, this morning, to start serving the almighty, powerful God that we live, that we serve. If you're a Christian and you've sort of slipped on that, maybe you've, your eyes have taken, been taken off of that goal of serving Him and going to heaven to be with Him. Why don't you fix that right now? If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing.